I'm going to give up the word should. And I was shocked at how often that word came out of my mouth. Like it was just a constant word that we all sort of lean on and we don't pay attention to. So that was a huge aha for me. And I ended up taking the word should. And I was like, what am I going to do? What do I say? If I don't use the word should, I'm so confused. And I went through a bunch of different words and I ended up with want. And that changed everything because I realized we're constantly like, oh, what should I wear? What should I eat? Hey, what should we do about this? What should we love that? We're looking outside of ourselves for the answers. Like, hello, anyone tell me what to do. We're outsourcing our life choices. But just by switching that one word for want, I was coming back to myself, which honestly is some ways confronting and harder. It's almost easier to go by the default of what I've been told. This is what so-and-so says to do. This is what blah, blah, blah. Then, oh, what do I want? Good morning, party people in the house. Welcome back to the Empowering Her podcast. Today, I am joined by Trisha Huffman. And I really think it's one of those full circle moments for me because I remember in one of the earliest podcast episodes, I used Trisha as an example of a woman who has created a career based on who she is, her healing journey, all that she has to offer to the world. And she shared her amazing story of how she toured with some of the coolest artists and really became their manager of integrity, their joyologist, and how she came to be this uh, self-proclaimed joyologist. And I'm just so excited for you to hear the story from her lens this time, because last time you heard it from mine. Um, and I just know you're going to jo- enjoy this episode as much as we enjoyed recording it for you. So Trisha Huffman, aka your joyologist, is a rock and roll roadie at heart. She specializes in working with those in the public eye to keep them in integrity with who they want to be while also enjoying the life they are living. For over a decade, she has been known for sharing real talk with heart, calling you to F the shoulds and own who you are and empowering you to claim your joy daily via her first book, F the Shoulds, Do the Wants, social media, Claim It, her podcast, and her Own Your Awesome Daily inspiration app. She's based in Los Angeles, where she is raising her strong-willed, independent, creative daughters and effing the shoulds while claiming joy daily. Guys, you're going to love this episode. Buckle up, have fun, take notes, open up those journals. This is like a mini masterclass on um, claiming your own joy. And I just know you're going to love it. Without further ado, Trisha Huffman. Do you ever feel like you wish you could do more for this generation of girls, our future generation of women, like actually be a change agent on the front lines and introduce girls to their many superpowers? I always ask myself this question, who would I be today If as a young girl, I was told that I am powerful beyond measure, who would you be, beautiful listener? I know it in my heart that it's time that girls are taught from as young an age as possible that they have everything they need within them to create a beautiful life. Why do we need to wait until our 30s and 40s to finally start feeling good in our skin, with our own thoughts, in our own bodies? The stats are that a girl's self-confidence peaks at age nine. This is a stat that I can't live with, and I'm literally in the business of changing. 
If you too feel the feels when you hear this and want to learn more about what you can do, like our 190 facilitators across the globe are doing to start running their girls empowerment workshops, events, businesses, I want you to learn more about the Girl Life Academy. It's time for all women to step into a career that adds value to the planet, rewards us personally, professionally, spiritually, and financially. We are welcoming new heart-centered Girl Life facilitators all year round to run our curriculum in their local communities. We provide you with the certification, the business know-how, a supportive community, and so much more to get your girls' empowerment endeavor off the ground in a smooth yet powerful way. To learn more about the application process and how you can make the Girl Life Academy a part of your personal reality, go to www.girllifeempowerment.com. That's with one L, www.girllifeempowerment.com or check out our show notes to learn more. Joyologist Trisha Huffman, welcome. I'm so excited to have you on the podcast. Thank you for having me. Oh my God, it's such a pleasure. So I have been wanting to reach out to you literally forever. I don't remember where I I heard you on a podcast and I was like, she is amazing. She needs to share her story with our audience. And I'm so glad that we finally were able to make it happen. Um, I'd love to kind of start at the beginning. How did you become a joyologist? And Better yet, what is a joyologist? (laughs) So it's funny when people are like, start, you're like, start at the beginning, how do you become a joyologist? Like for me, there's two key moments in my life that really made me who I am and do the work that I am today, which started with like how I became a joyologist. One was when I was 15 and just feeling the stress and overwhelm of like, trying to figure out who I was. And I really, really, really was aware of how hard I was both trying to stand out and to fit in. Like, what do I wear? What music do I like? If somebody asked me, what's my favorite thing? What do I say? Is it cool to raise my hand or to not raise my hand? Like to be smart or to not like really like weighing all these things out. (laughs) But it wasn't like I wanted to be like cookie cutter this. Like I really also have this strong, like, yeah, I just want to be me or this, but fighting that constantly. Um, And I also had a lot of chronic pain and stomach issues and stuff. And I went to all sorts of specialists. I missed a lot of school. uh, And there was a point where I, I thought about ending my life often I couldn't sleep. I felt very misunderstood and the pain and all of that. And I had a real like breakdown moment that it was sort of like, okay, something's got to change. You either follow, follow through with this plan or like something else has got to change. And, um, yeah, I had this sort of like breakdown where I, I came to, obviously it wasn't that clear in my mind back then, but what it basically was is that, all right, I have got to care less about what other people think and care more about what I want and what feels best to me. And I've stuck to that ever since, but it's that it's not like <laughs> I decided that when I was 15. So everything's just been so easy peasy since then. It's like uh, every day met several times a, a day, like coming back to, wait, who am I, what am I, who am I worried about pleasing or this right now? What do I think about this from the smallest stuff of like, 
can I wear this? Oh, I don't know if it's flattering. Like for who? Because we're so worried about what other people are going to think about us and not, but I really like this. It's comfortable. It's fun, whatever. So, so all of these small ways anyway. So that like aha moment really was a big change in my life. And that like, okay, I'm going to care more about what I think, what I want. And so that put me on the direct trajectory to become a live sound engineer, which is what I wanted to do, but I didn't know what it's called. I loved music. I went to all concerts all the time. I was so into it. It would be like, Oh, the guitar is too loud. I can't hear the background vocals. Like I was doing sound without knowing what it was. And so I made that happen. Um, worked my butt off and there were barely any female sound engineers and there probably still are. Um, and I was successful. Like I was touring the world with Grammy award winning icons and got to see firsthand that these people who have it all, like I was living my biggest dream, but they are really living their biggest dream. They're seeing their own songs, you know, being praised around the world, get to take, you know, oh, let me go on vacation to this private island buy the same shoes over and over again because they liked them and forgot they had them. Like, right. like that was a real thing. <laughs> like that was somebody that I work with and I like, they had everything and even had great family and relationships too. So of course there is lot, it taught lots of toxic stuff in that and people in that, but I really saw like they have it all the people that I got to work with and still it didn't feel like they were actually enjoying their life or like they had it all. Their dream came true, but they're still stressed, fear, doubts, what a judgment, mm-hmm. this, like, you know, there's just so much like, wow, you can have it all. And then you're still not like, but none of that really came clear to me until my dad died suddenly. So that's the second moment. I was like, uh, my dad passed away suddenly. He was 57 or 58 and healthy. Uh, and there was just an accident and I made my peace with it. I was like, okay. And that, but at the same time, it shook me up so much. And I went from his funeral to start a tour and I was supposed to be on tour the entire year. And I tried and I just couldn't like I too, I was just waking around, walking around, seeing everybody that looked miserable around the world. And I was just like, I'm miserable. My dad just died, but also like getting that everybody has their own stuff going on. And also, but like, you don't know, you know, we say you could get hit by a bus tomorrow. That could really happen. Yeah. It really so what are we all doing? What are we all doing? Just like working in miserable jobs and in relationships and tomorrow it's this and just like finding some joy in your life. So I didn't know what I was going to do, but I, I was like, I can't do sound anymore. I'm done with this tour. Um, I need to figure out some way to shake people up to actually like enjoying their life while they're alive. Okay. So that was the second point. And I didn't know what I was going to do. Uh, and I didn't even have a place to live because I toured all the time and I like lived out of suitcases. <laughs> but I, um, I went back to California where I had mostly been and, um, I got certified as a yoga teacher because I was into yoga. I like got in more into like, and because of my, oh, I eventually with the physical pain and everything was diagnosed with fibromyalgia when I was 18. So my whole life, I had done a lot of things to take care of my mental and physical health Mm -hmm. from that moment of the like 15 and sort of seeing like, I can't control my physical pain, but I can do something about the mental pain I was causing myself. So it's sort of like before self-help and self-love was as big and the internet was even like, you know, social media was really like happening. I really had committed my life to taking care of myself mentally and physically because I wanted to actually be alive. Like I chose life when I was 15. And so I have continued to every day since, even on those hard days, like, how can I take care of myself? So I had done so much work that way. And anyway, I um, ended up coming up with like, I want to go back on tour and take care of 
the people on tour and especially the artists, keeping them grounded and healthy in body and mind, because again, they have it all, but they're not enjoying it. And also touring is exhausting. And there's so many people that are like, okay, we're this, 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 like pulling them in different directions. And when the person in power is not happy, yeah, everybody below them and around them is not like, right. The whole tour is like walking on eggshells or whatever, you know, office you live in, whatever your manager at a retail store, like if the person in power is not happy, then everybody is like that. So then being even like the person that would call like, Oh, knock on their dressing room door instead of like, Oh, everybody leave so-and-so alone be like, hi. So what's going on? Let's talk about this. What can you do? What are we going to, what can you do about this too? And not like enable, like, Let's talk about it. So, and so one of my, the people that I toured with for a while, Jason Mraz even ended up naming me his manager of integrity after a while. Cause it was like constantly bringing him back to him. And there's also aspects of whatever dream job you have of whatever job you have that are not like what you would want to do, like giving a hundred interviews over and over again, or like, you know, like all of these things, <laughs> like the same answer. So figuring out these are parts of this that you signed up, like, unfortunately, or you can say no, but what does that look like? Why is this beneficial for you to do it? So anyway, so really like talking them through things so they could find ways to make it work for them or set boundaries and stuff too. So that's where it started. <laughs> Short story. <laughs> oh my God. I have so much I want to ask you. And then like I, I said to myself, I'm literally going to sit back for this one, for this interview, because what you do is so fascinating. And first of all, like I need to tell you, our stories are so similar. And anyone who listens to the podcast or is part of our girl life community, they know. I wow. also had like chronic stomach issues when I was growing up and my mom took me to every specialist and everyone would give me a clean bill of health. Melody's completely fine. And long story short, psych 101 class, I'm sitting there and I learn about the mind body connection. And I'm like, wait a second. Like I am, I am struggling with like emotional unrest and I'm anxious and I'm thinking thoughts that are like debilitating me. And that's what's happening. Like, there's nothing wrong with me. I'm just feeling anxiety and I didn't have a name to give it at the time. Right. Cause the, it, there wasn't this like buzzword of anxiety back then. And we didn't talk about mental health. So anyways, our stories are very similar. And then when I learned that I took my power back and I was like, if I can make myself sick, then I can also make myself well. Mm-hmm. So I was very committed to my well-being. So I love that parallel. Um, I had never heard you speak about that before. So that was that was interesting. Uh, and then like, let's talk about this, this business of going on tour. First, let's talk about how you said you were 15 when you started going on tour as like a sound. No, 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 no. Um, 15 was when I like had, had that wake up okay. moment, but that is what, so like, yeah, in high school, it's constantly like, oh, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? I'm like, I don't know. Maybe I'll be a lawyer. I like, I'm good at arguing or like, you know, like whatever, or like debating or whatever, or this or that. But I really love, I loved, always love, 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 love music. But never, there wasn't a part of me that really like wanted to even learn to 
play music, uh, which honestly I think was the fear of not being good enough. So I never even let myself try. Uh, well, it's looking, never play, you know that. Yeah, yeah. No, it's funny. My I've got like my daughter a keyboard and like bought this app to help her learn. She's like, Mom, do you want to play? And I was like, Oh yeah, maybe I do want to try that app to teach me how to play <laughs> too. But um, right. but it was anyway. Like I just knew that I wanted to be around it, and especially like concerts that I really like, really loved it, and so I um. I, yeah, I made a way for that to happen, which that was, my parents were very big on, you have to go to college. And I, there was no, like, I wasn't into like a going to a university or this. I I wanted to do something with music. Um, and I found Columbia College in Chicago, which was a liberal arts school. It is, well, not was, it still is a liberal arts school. And I didn't even, at the time they had a sound program, but it was combined with radio. And I was like, I hadn't, I didn't, I wasn't, didn't imagine myself like, being on radio, which now I'm like, yes, I have a podcast. Let me talk to you, Robert. But anyway, um, so I, I got into like their music business. Like, so I went and it was like living in downtown Chicago, signed up for music business. And I was like, I don't know, maybe a producer, like maybe that's what I, like, I didn't even know what anything was called, but I got a job at the house of blues um, there because I had only worked in retails, including a record store. When I was in high school, I became like the manager of, and when I was 18, they tried to convince me to not go to college and to just be the manager of record town, <laughs> which is funny. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but um, I only, I got a job intentionally at House of Blues at the company store because there was concerts there. Mm-hmm. And like, I want to be a part of that. And so that's what happened is that eventually all of the production people, they had such long days, they would come downstairs and like hang out in their downtime. And I was like, I'm pretty sure what you guys do up there is like what I want to do. And I was 18 and the production manager was like, okay, come hang out. And so I did start just like showing up and it's so awkward. I didn't know anything. I didn't belong there. You know what I mean? Like that, like it's, you have to like put yourself out there when you feel this draw to stuff. And I was like, wow, but I would get there because I also had another office job. So I wouldn't get there until like four. And at that time, everything had already be loaded in. They'd be about to do sound check, which was cool. But I realized I wanted to really know all of it. So I ended up quitting my office job that I barely did anything. And I made it a ridiculous high hourly wage for that time because I wanted to do this. So again, I like took my chances and I ended up being there as much as I could. Like I was basically like there at least 40 hours a week for free, just like, Oh, this is what it is. Because I did, I was like, this is what it is. And then I was like downstairs still working in the retail store. Like I lived at house. (laughs) And then eventually they hired me to be a stagehand. And then eventually they're like, Oh, we need somebody to do the sound at the restaurant stage. It was like one microphone for a blues player, but still it was like so nerve wracking. And that's what happened. Like I stayed there and that's, it was so, like I said, so awkward. And I'm like, Oh, I want to be a part of this and let me help. And then also I was mostly like in the way. Cause like, okay, Trisha, can you get us a boom stand? And I'm like, what? Uh-huh. What's a boom stand? <laughs> okay, can you mic the snare drum? What's the snare drum? Hey, can you get like, you know, so it was really like have to continuously just show up and not be afraid of looking like an idiot. Mm. And like, just like, I want to be here and learning. That's and so, so I ended up then being a sound engineer there. And one, um, somebody from a sound company came through like the second biggest sound company in the country. And they were nervous because they weren't traveling with their tech. And I took care of them and they were so nervous. And they were like, if you ever want a job, let us know. And so I was graduating and I wrote to that person. And I said, hi, I'm graduating. And so then I went to work for this sound company. And so I did start touring. I want to say maybe 22 or 23. Still, I was very young and I went right out as a monitor engineer, not a tech, which is unusual. Normally you would go out as a tech to support the engineer. 
So, um, so I wasn't 15, but I was very young and <laughs> you were very you young know, for like to be touring. And, and my first person I toured with was Mary Chapin Carpenter, who oh was already God. a multi Grammy Grammy winner. <laughs> and the first jobs that I did with her was like flying to New York city and doing the today show and David. <laughs> you, but like, what's so cool about all this is you literally made that happen. You were yeah. like, you had your eye on the prize. And I heard you say a few times in this conversation, it felt awkward, right? So like awkward. it felt strange, but you just kept doing it because you were like, this is what I want to do. This is the environment I want to be in. I'm vibing with this work. And you kept going. You did it for free. Like, I love how you just used your resources and you kept the names and numbers of people and you, you like made connections and you provided value, right? Like, I think yeah. that sometimes it's lost on this generation, um, that you can do that. And like, in some ways, I look at my own daughters. They're 16 years old right now and they're twins. And like, so often they're like, just kind of like waiting for stuff to happen. And, and listen, there's, equal parts. They're also making things happen, but like, it's very different than it was for us. I feel so like I kudos to you for doing that and putting yourself in that space. And then, and then what came next is even cooler. How like you did the touring, you saw what that life was like, and now walk us through, like you became management manager of integrity for Jason Mraz. Like talk to me about how this even came to be. Well, so there's another, there's another correlation, putting myself out there. Um, so in that year that I like, that took the time off, uh, so he was somebody that I had toured with doing sound. Uh, and he, I think, yeah, I was on, that was the tour I was supposed to be on and that I quit. And, um, I took that year off. I didn't know what I was going to do, except how am I going to like shake people up? And again, this was like before, Instagram was still not a thing. This was in 2003. Like, I'm, I think, I feel like I just joined Facebook that year. Right. <laughs> so it wasn't like I also had this inspiration of, Oh, look at these people that are just making up things, or I can just be an inspiring person on the internet for an, like, I'll just share like whatever. It was just like, I need to shake people up to live their lives. How am I going to do this? And the only thing, um, I had, I don't know where this message came from, but it was like, eliminate the word should from my vocabulary. And so that my book just came out last year that is all correlated to that. It's called F the shoulds do the once. But what that came from is I chose to eliminate the word should. And this made no sense to me because I didn't think I lived a life of shoulds. Like I had done what I wanted ever since that moment at 15, I felt like I lived true to me. Even when I wasn't touring, I'd be like, oh, I'm going to go to Bali for a month. Okay. Now I'm going to go to Costa Rica. Like I really like, wasn't like, oh, I want to eat at this fancy restaurant, but nobody will go with me. Oh, well, like, you know, like I very much was like, you yeah, know, okay, I want to do this. So I'm going to do it. So this idea made no sense to me, but for some reason, I'm like, okay, I'm going to give up the word should. And I was shocked at how often that word came out of my mouth. Like it was just a constant word that we all sort of lean on and we don't pay attention to. So that was a huge aha for me. And I ended up taking the word should. And I was like, what am I going to do? What do I say? If I don't use the word should, I'm so confused. And I went through a bunch of different words and I ended up with want. And that changed everything because I realized we're constantly like, oh, what should I wear? What should I eat? Hey, what should we do about this? What should we love that? We're looking outside of ourselves for the answers like, hello, 
anyone tell me what to do? We're outsourcing our life choices. But just by switching that one word for want, I was coming back to myself, which honestly is some ways confronting and harder. It's almost easier to go by the default of what I've been told. This is what so-and-so says to do. This is what blah, blah, blah. Then what do I want? So anyway, I, that journey has still lasted for me so much that I gave the, you know, like wrote a book all about it, but all the things that it showed me about how I was judging myself, the doubts and fears. So it really made me self-aware and, and then it got me to figure out that like, this is what I wanted to do is to go on the road. And I couldn't, you know, I didn't know, I didn't, I didn't give myself the title. I just knew what I wanted to do in the ways that I wanted to support people. And because I kept coming back to that should one thing, it like really empowered me to be like, I'm allowed to do this. I'm allowed. Like that's a big part of the, the should to want to is to see I'm allowed to do things my way. I'm allowed to try. I'm a lot like whatever. Oh, this is a fear. This is a doubt. Okay. Let's look at that anyway. So and somewhat similarly to how I made the sound career happen, I had this idea of this is what I want to do. I want to go back on tour supporting artists in this way. And then I got a call from Jason Mraz's production manager and he said, hey, the tour is expanding this year. We need to hire a production assistant to come out with us. I know you don't want to do sound anymore. Is there any way that you would consider being a production assistant? Which is really like sort of Without even him telling me, I knew it would have been a big pay cut to what I made as a sound engineer. And and many people would have been like, why? Yeah, like uh, production assistants do a ton, as you can imagine. But like, yeah, in many ways, it could have been like a step down. And I was like, oh, yes, I'm going to come. I will come out on tour and I will be the production assistant. And I'm now certified yoga. I'm going to lead yoga classes. I'm going to bring like, oh, also by the time when I was a even as a sound engineer, um, I like had to eat, I, I give up gluten in 2004 to help with my fibromyalgia. Like I traveled with a juicer, like, like I said, I would like do yoga outside the bus, like for me. So like I had done all these things. So I basically was like, I'm going to incorporate all the things I do to take care of myself, but give it to the people. Like I'm going to bring out my blender, my juicer, I'm going to make healthy foods. I'm going to make the dressing rooms nicer. I'm going to put affirmations and mantras on the stage and in the bathrooms. And I'm going to be like the person that like, doesn't let, you know, like I'm going to be sort of doing like calling Jason out and trying to talk to him or whatever. And we'll see without, and this was a conversation that we had with Jason and his name is E.T. or Etere. His name is Etere Dedovitas, but we call him E.T. And he was just like, okay. Sure. And so I did that. I went out and I was like, I'm going to be an amazing production assistant and I'm doing this. Okay. Does anybody want to do yoga? I held yoga class. I did all of those things. And with one week, one week, Jason came to the tour manager and production manager and said, I don't know what Trisha is doing, but I want her to do that full time. Wow. And from then on, they hired another production assistant. I started to get my own dressing room on tour. That was the joy and vibe room. (laughs) We created like a road case kitchen for me and all the stuff I was doing. Uh, So that's another example of I wanted something to happen. So I took advantage, like I just put myself out there and then... I toured with him for years. And then after I got off, like got off a tour cycle with him then I did like, then I had had this proof of concept. So wrote like just sent mass emails to everybody. I know, Hey, blah, blah, blah. 
uh, which by the way, that was the, that's where I got the title joyologist. When Jason said that, then the production manager was like, we're the tour manager now I'm hearing. Apparently, apparently I may have been giving credit to the wrong person this entire time of who titled me. Um, <laughs> I just found that a couple months ago, by the way. <laughs> um, he was like, okay, so Trisha's the joyologist and that's where the title came from. But so then I had that and would go, blah, blah, blah. This is what I can provide this, whatever. And then I got hired by Colby Calais to go out with her as her joyologist. I didn't work with that many people because it would go for an entire tour cycle but I could have kept going that way but I then wanted to get off tour to have my own family and do different things but so that's another example of like I wanted something to happen so I made it happen Mm -hmm. I believed in myself and my idea and I was willing to yeah and then so yeah I got to negotiate a new salary like and then that built the last tour I did, I negotiated salary, health insurance, and even put in a contract. If you decide to change your mind, you still have to pay me for a year. Wow. Like if they took me out on tour and decided, oh, never mind, we don't think we need this. I had just given up my life for this person. So you're you if you change your mind, you still have to pay me the full Listen, amazing things <laughs> happen when you claim your worth. Like But amazing- it started with me taking a lower paying job. Yeah. Yeah. And you carved your way into this role. And like, it's just so incredible to me how you were going through your own healing, right? Like the yoga and the juicing and the giving up gluten. And like, you created this new lifestyle. It was part of your healing. It was part of your journey. And then just by living out that journey, like living out loud, doing it on the tour and shining your light, shining your light, just being you, people started to wonder like, what's she doing? Jason, you caught the attention of Jason Mraz, who was like, whatever she's doing, we need more of that because that is healing stuff. So like, like I always say this in our community, but our journey is such a gift. Like our unique journey is the gift that we get to give to everyone, whoever comes in contact with us. And like you said at the beginning on that tour, if Jason is well, right. And you are well, then everyone else is well, like all of his support staff, all of the people who he tours with and the audience, like everyone gets to feel that energy. Yeah, and- you're right. Yeah. And that's what the point, you know, was, was like, I would help other people and stuff, but it was primarily targeted at the artist because of that. But yeah, it would go then to then. And also, even when I was the healthy person on tour as the sound engineer and I'm bringing my blah, blah, blah and I'm doing yoga. And I talk about this in my book too. So often we're trying to convince people what we're doing or bring them on board or should them like, Oh, you know, like you guys are burnt out or whatever, but you're drinking coffee all day. And I'm not, I drink coffee now. I used to not drink coffee. <laughs> it was like when I was on tour, I was even healthier because I needed to be like, whatever, but you know, I could be like, Oh, well, blah, blah, blah. Cause you, you should be doing this or you should like, we should add other people, but that wouldn't be on. But other people be like, how are you have so much energy? How are you flipping these road cases? Like I am. And you're not, your back isn't hurting. And I'd be like, oh, because I do yoga and not like, well, you should do yoga. And so many of those, I'm saying old, they're probably my age now. But like, again, I was 20 years younger than a lot of people that I worked with. Fine. Yeah. Older sound guys that I work with that were like crotchety, beer drinkers, coffee, whatever. You don't know how many of those guys end up drinking green smoothies and starting yoga. Even like they would get off tour and find their local yoga studio. And I can't take full credit, but it wasn't like, you know, like that and on the tour Jason you're right like the energy we would be I'd making green smoothies for the truck drivers before because truck drivers and bus drivers drive all night with the gear we get there we load in the gear they go to a hotel and sleep so I would be giving them a green smoothie 
to sleep, to take, you know, not me. They were just like, what do you guys do? You guys are always so full of energy and happy. Like, what's up with you? Like, yeah, people were just genuinely intrigued. I'm like, oh, do you want to try one? Here, this, whatever. Um, but yeah, like people love being on those tours and the fans felt it too, because it was joyful and we were taking care of ourselves in body and mind and spirit. Totally. The way that, that he would show up had to be completely different because of what he was doing behind the scenes. Right. So I love this story so much. I feel like nobody has any, like, we don't have excuses. We need to stop hiding behind the excuses because we can create like you and I both, we've created careers that never existed. Like we get to do this. And what's coming up for me is like, so many people always ask me this question. I'm going to pose it of you. Like, you just kind of went for it. Right. But like, how about the doubts and the fears? Like they definitely had to come up. Right. How did you work with them? Yeah. Well, I will say I'm like, but there's in my book, like there is like each chapter is like noticing. So that was for me, the awareness Mm -hmm. that I was having. So, so often I feel like we have doubts and fears, worries, stress, right. And it's like just swirling around in our head and like running us. So this, the should pay attention to that one word for me, it made me so self-aware. And it also really tuned me into how I was feeling because even once I stopped using the word, I would notice it was in my thoughts and my feelings. So I would be able then to notice like, what's going on with me? Why do I feel so off or anxious? Why did my energy feel like this? Oh, and it could even be like, oh, I was just on social media and I saw so-and-so posted that. And then I went into comparison mode and I've been, you know, but I was like, then took my kids to school or, and then was cooking and blah, blah, blah. So I've been walking around with this. So I am able to like notice how I feel and then tap into it and ask myself questions. And that, so, so the doubts and the fears, the big part of it is instead of ignoring it and just being like, I don't hear you. Okay. I'm just going to like put my head down and think, or they let, you can either let the doubts and fears totally stop you, or you can just pretend they don't exist, but they're sort of just bearing down on you. And for me, I actually learned that facing them, asking them questions, being like, okay, you have some information to offer me. Let me hear you out. And then doubting that. So like one of the things which I I got this from a yoga teacher, I think when I was doing that teacher training and it's in the book is doubting your doubts. Like we can doubt our doubts. Like it's such a simple thing, but like, why do we take the first thought or whatever is like, that's it. That's it. Like, okay. Yeah. That's one option. That's possible. Yeah. They could say no. Yeah. That could fail. But also They could say yes, or I could ask another person or that, like, then the fear. Okay. So I like talk to those things. Fear. What if this doesn't work out? I ask myself, what's the worst case scenario? Worst case scenario is, yeah, they say no, blah, blah, blah. But like, really, once I play out a worst case scenario, then I can see even that worst case scenario is really not the end of the world. And then I would know and I would have more information, you know, but instead, we're just going to let that fear like run our lives and not let us try. But like, when I actually dig in, okay, so that could, yeah, that could happen. Mm. And I, I would still be okay. And I think I would rather try than, you know, like, even if that does happen, and it doesn't work out, or I take this big chance, and I give up my job, and I blah, 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 right? Like, I give up my job, my security, I'm going to create this thing. The worst case scenario, it doesn't take off. I'm not able to pay my bills, whatever that would suck. And then realize, okay, I, well, I could likely still then get another job. I could try things a different way. Like that, it would be, that would suck. And also your life wouldn't be over. And then also, well, what's another possibility? Right. Possibility like it does take off. A possibility is that I realize now I'm not stuck in this town that I don't like either. And I can move to wherever I want and start over. And, you know, like, 
all of these things. So like, for me, it's actually like opening those things up that we want to be like, ah, no, don't look there. Okay. Let me see what you have for me. And you don't have to take it as the truth. Right. You're like befriending your fear. Like you're, you're, you're doing a dance with it instead of like pushing it and just being like, I'm not dealing with this. You're kind of like, okay, like let's engage. What have you got for me? Like, where are we going to take this and not making it the enemy? It sounds like that's what it sounds like to me. You're not making your fear the enemy. So, um, it's not something to literally like always be trying to move in the other direction, but instead it becomes a part of you and, and it's actually helping you grow, right? Like moving in the yeah. fear. So I love yeah, that. Yeah, I'm still scared all the freaking time. Like, yeah. oh, I want to send this email about writing this article and saying, oh, what if they say no? What if they don't write back? Like, really? That's what I'm like. Then they say no and they don't write back. Right. But I'm not going to know if I don't send the email. Like, like about these small things, right? <laughs> like, right? What if I put out this offer and nobody says yes? So what? Then that's what happens. And I have learned from that. But what if people do say yes? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, I, I'm just, I'm loving this conversation. And then the shoulds, like, I, I love that you talk about shoulds. I always say stop shooting on yourself. Um, but it's like, I, f- I always feel like when we use the word should, we're literally giving our power away. Like we're literally like, acting out something that someone else thinks we ought to be doing. And uh, I love how you've transformed this to want where you're literally taking your power back and you're like, I get to choose. I get to decide this is in my hands. And it's like, wow, what a difference. What a difference. Yeah. Yeah. It's really life changing. And I have been talking about it ever since. Uh, and now, and but I never was like, it's so funny, even though I always talked about it and how this affects everything, I wanted to write a book for years and couldn't figure out what it was about. And I was like, wait, can I really write a book all about this? But like, yes, because it goes into so many different areas of our lives. So like this whole book is about like the shoulds, but like looking at them from different angles. So yeah, like how it has us, we're constantly judging ourselves because what we should be like setting boundaries because, oh, I should just say yes to everybody or I shouldn't blah, 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 or I shouldn't put myself first or whatever. Like it really ties in or in the should haves, the regret, the shame, there's so much shame in shoulds. So it's so, so, so deep. And like I said, even though I gave that word up in 2003, it messes with me every single day still, but I have to constantly be whoosh, whoosh, whoosh. <laughs> We're just transforming that shit up. I mean, that's what we got to do. It's what we have to do. Um, but I love that you've given people the framework for how to do that. So that is just fantastic. So like, bring me to present day. So are you, you're not touring anymore? You are touring? Like what, what does your everyday look like now? Yeah. So I, I still work with people. I say people in the public eye are really people that are putting their work out into the world in any way. Um, to sort of like bring them back to alignment. So people hire me to be aligned with themselves, to unshould themselves and to trust what they want and doing things their way. Because again, like I've seen time and time again, you can be even doing 
what you want, have everything be at the height of your career, but still be like, oh, I don't know. Do I do this way or this way? Everyone's, there's so much noise from the outside world of what you should be doing or do this, or this is the only, this is the way that you get clients, or this is the way that you should write your book or this, whatever. So to bring people continuously back to themselves and make sure that they're living an aligned in a line life for them so that they are enjoying their life inside their work and out. Mm-hmm. Cause what is the point of being alive if we're just also focused on like, achieving in these goalposts. So yes, do the things that you want to and come alive and enjoy your life outside of that every day because you could get hit by a bus tomorrow. It's like, I hate saying that, but it's like, yeah, it's like, what is it all for? What's it all for? And I remind myself of that, right? Like I'm like, it could all end tomorrow. Right. And this, this serves as fuel to live your life and do the things that we want to do. But then there's that, like, I feel like when I say that to myself, I'm also instilling fear within myself. Like, Oh my God, I I don't want to live that way. But at the same time, it's such great motivation. Like how do we find the balance between that, between knowing that we have this one precious life and like, let's do with it what we want, but also not letting that like scariness of it could all end tomorrow, like just cramp our styles. Like, how do we do this? Yeah. And for me, it's a lot of like the small stuff, like being intentional with, oh, what's something that brings my joy, brings me joy and add that to my day and these small moments of fulfillment, because I feel like we're constantly chasing like what it means to be enough, successful, worthy, fulfilled. And again, this is from the shoulds that we are usually often programmed to go after what we think that looks like. So once I have a this figure salary, once I have this home, once I can buy this, once I win the Grammy, once I whatever, then I will feel worthy, fulfilled enough, etc. But we don't take enough time thinking about what would that feel like? What would it feel like to be successful? What would it feel like? And so we're not, when you're picturing it, it's not like, look at all the shiny things that are around me, right? What does it feel like in your body? And so when you can tap into that, you can connect with that on a daily basis, even if you've not done a darn thing today, because you're taking care of your body and mind and spirit. But like, you can be fulfilled today and not be like, oh no, I didn't keep my word to myself because of this or that, or blah, blah, blah. I haven't made progress on my goals because you are choosing to take care of you so that you can then continue to show up for those things. I love it. So focusing on those feelings and that alignment, that's like a beautiful answer, such a good answer. And what an example you are setting for your daughters, like of being a woman who goes out there in the world and does what's on her heart and does the inner work. Like what a beautiful message you are passing on to them. Now, how old are your girls? Five and seven. Wow. Oh my God. What a beautiful age. Yeah. It's fun. They're they're in kindergarten and first grade and it's, it's, yeah, it's interesting just to see like them. I don't know, like them coming home with their ahas about how they think the world works based on what they learned that day or whatever. And like, yeah, I love it. (laughs) Explain your work to them. I'm curious. Oh, I usually just say like, I help people and like, you know, Oh, you know, cause even like, it will be like, oh, I have a call or this, or cause you're like, oh, I'm going to pick you up later today because I have one of my calls. And, you know, like I help people so that they can actually enjoy their life more and be who they are. Cause a lot of times people are like, you know, yeah, they're, it's just that simple, but they are aware of like, yeah, like people 
are just following what they think they should. Well, obviously, no, they know my book and they like know about the shoulds and like, what does that mean? So like, yeah, a lot of people are like doing things that they steal joy from themselves. That's not what I say to them. But what I like to say is a lot of time we are stealing joy from ourselves because we are doing what we should, or even like I said, not wearing the outfit because, oh, blah, blah, blah. What am I going to look like? Because so many women especially are trained to like, we have to look as thin as we possibly can when it's like, I can't wear this because of blah, blah, blah. Like, but no, that's even no. <laughs> right. Making songs. I used to catch myself because I was like, I'm a badass rock sound engineer or whatever. And then like, oh, but why do I like Justin Bieber songs? Like <laughs> I really struggled to like own that. I loved Justin Bieber. This was a while ago, but like, because it's the identity of who I thought I was and who, what I should like, or what will people think if I say that to that person, what will they think? Will they judge me? And it was like, we're so worried about other people judging us, but we're really judging ourselves mm-hmm. and stealing this quality of joy. <laughs> and yeah. now I'll be like, Oh, karaoke play Justin Bieber song. <laughs> right. Like rock it, own it, love it, dance to it. Do yeah, like it. lots of other music too. But I'm like, and yes. Right. right. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. It's all about owning those choices and not giving an F what anybody else thinks. Like this is, this is the trap that, that we all fall into. And it starts from girlhood. Um, there's this, there's this statistic. Everyone who's listening knows this statistic because they hear me talk about it all the time, but a girl's self-confidence peaks at age nine, which just mm. like breaks my heart. And I, I was in the business of literally changing this statistic. Like we don't want nine to be where everything plateaus and falls. We want it to be just like, they're just starting their lives. There's so much potential. There's so much um, that they're capable of. So if you could speak to your nine-year-old self, what might you share with her? Mm, I know. I was trying to think back. Is nine like third grade? I don't know. I'm trying no. to think. My daughter's seven and first. Your daughters are closer. So you I was like, yeah, my daughter turned seven while she's in first grade. So yeah, I would think, yeah. Oh, nice. <laughs> I'm even like looking back at myself. I'm like, yeah, where was I? Um, yeah. So what would I say to myself? Um, I would say stay true to you and what you're feeling in your heart and stop worrying so much about what anybody else may or may not think. It's what matters is what you think and what you want and what brings you joy. I love that. That's so beautiful. So beautiful. I mean, um, and that's <laughs> 40, almost two year old, Trisha. Like, yeah, it's again, like, we still, <laughs> easy to say now, right? Like, like you no, just, it's like, no, like, I still have to remind myself of that, of all the work that I do. It's still, like I said, we get so, like, and that's what I do for others is remind them because people can be so confident, right? I will be so confident in who I am and the gift that I am. And then, yes, just something happens and all it's like, wait, wait, what? Like, this, like there is so much, like I said, noise and other stuff happening in the world. So that's like the work that I do for others is that work because I'm continuously doing it for myself, like bringing me back to who are you? What do you want? How do you feel? That's that's what it comes down to. And when we're, um, when we're really taking ownership of that, like we just get to 
forget like how amazing it feels for us, but everyone, everyone who's around us gets to benefit yeah. as a result of it and grow. Like it's, it's like a challenge to them. Like we're calling them to also grow. So yeah. it's, um, it's a beautiful thing, a beautiful place to, um, wrap up this conversation. I feel like we need to have you back on because like, there's so much to yeah, say here to. and I feel like we've just scratched the surface. Um, but I want everyone to know all the ways that they can connect with you, where they can get your book, all the good stuff. Yeah, definitely get my book after the shoulds do the once it's available all the places and, um, and audible and all of that, but you can go to F the shoulds do the once.com and there'll be links there. And there's even still bonuses, um, that you can get, even if you already have the book, you can just enter information. Uh, and me, everything is at your joyologist.com. Uh, I have Trisha Huffman.com, but it's still the <laughs> <Right>. for now. <laughs> um, and then on social media, I'm most active on Instagram and TikTok, and I'm at underscore Trisha Huffman there. Oh, and I have my own podcast called Claim It, where, um, yeah, I have episodes weekly that are either solo or conversations with others. So good. You're giving so much to the world. Thank you for all the amazing light you bring and the incredible work that you are doing. This was such a pleasure. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for your listenership. If you love what you're hearing, please consider leaving us a five-star review and subscribing to the show so that you don't miss an episode. These reviews are so very helpful to us, and we are so grateful for each and every one of them. If you'd like to hang out with us on Instagram, give us a visit at Girl Life Empowerment. Can't wait to see you there.